Hi, everyone. This is Caleb Johnson, and I'm on the RE Social Podcast. You're listening to the RE Social Podcast with your hosts, Andrew and Vince from OnV Invest. For more information, go to onvinvest.com. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of RE Social Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. Uh, we have Caleb Johnson. Welcome to the show, man. Vince, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, man. So I, I heard you on a few broadcasts recently and I was like, I remember this guy messaging me too. So I'm like, I, this has got to be the same person. So I wanted to touch base and see what you're up to. But uh, for uh, people who haven't listened to your 50 episodes, uh, can you give us like a 90 second intro about yourself? Sure. So I am from Arizona and I started in residential real estate, but my background, my career is in restaurant management. I did that for five years, started investing while I had that W-2. My first property was a fourplex. I house hacked, lived in one unit, rented out the other three in a C-minus neighborhood, did some retail uh, as well, and then eventually scaled up to apartments. And today we focus on 75 plus unit uh, properties, and we've done six commercial and apartment deals, including one retail. You know, that's a lot of things, Caleb, you've done. You know, uh, you know, you look very young for like a 55-year-old. How old are you? <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, I'm 25. Wow. That's that's a lot of stuff. So uh, for listeners, you know, you know, a lot of our audiences are in your, you know, age range. The 25 to 35 is most of our listeners. So, you know, having done so much, you know, just 25 years old, um, can you um, give the listeners like how did you get started in this? Is is your family uh, related to Trump? What's happening? Yeah, no, the complete opposite. So my family, they are blue collar. My mom's, or my, yeah, my mom's been an occupational therapist assistant for 10, 15 years about. My dad's been a librarian for 30 years. And so I saw what life they had and I knew I didn't want that for myself. I wanted more time and freedom. And I really saw that with my mom when she had a surgery on both of her knees, bilateral knee replacements. So she was uh, not able to walk or work for three months. During that time, she was living off of her savings and Vince, at the end of three months, she thought she'd be ready to go back to work, but she wasn't. So she had to make a decision. One, stay home and recover properly, but continue to dip into her savings. And she was around retirement age. And so that meant pushing back retirement by a couple of years. Or she could go back to work and make money, but she would probably suffer some pain through that. And so she decided to go back to work and I would honestly see her just come home in tears. And that broke my heart. Uh, I wanted to help her retire early. And at the same time, I saw what a job could do. Now, I'm not bashing jobs by any means. I do think we need jobs. We need people to work. And there are some people that just work and they're made to work. And that's great. And they like that. So that's awesome. Now, that's not me. So... Uh, that really motivated me that I wanted more control and to have my own business. That's awesome. And I, I remember listening to um, that story. So you you saw that your mom and dad were trading time for money and you just figured out like that's not really going to really help them out. So you kind of like used that to kind of think of alternative approaches that how you... 
That's right. Yeah, I wanted more control. And so that seed was planted in me. And I started reading books about, you know, self-help business. And I started my first business was in multi-level marketing. So pretty much you you buy from your own products and you have a downline. So you sign them up and then they buy from their own products and then they sign up other people down them. And then you ultimately get a little piece of everyone's action that they spend on that store. And I did that for a year, but I ended up leaving that for a little bit to focus on a fitness career. And then that's when I got introduced to apartments and I learned that 90% of millionaires had gotten their millions through real estate. And I thought those were really good odds, you know, if I wanted to have um, that. And so that's how I got introduced to real estate. Okay. That's uh, that's an interesting story. So I want to, uh, uh, I like to track your timeline, you know, for listeners and see how you're doing this. So, you know, it's great to listen to podcasts, listen, you know, read books and, you know, it sounds great literally on paper, but, you know, making the first move, that's, that's where most people make, you know, don't do it. And then they have all these, oh, risks and rewards and they don't end up doing. So after reading all those books, uh, how did that transpire? Like, you know, you still had to put down some money or have the, you know, guts to go and do it. So how did that happen? Yeah. So my parents always taught me to save. Right, you have ten percent for tithe. That's first. Then thirty percent for saving. That's second, and the rest you can spend. So that's sixty percent. Maybe you can save forty percent if you want, but um, that's was my upbringing. And so since I had been working, I had been saving money. And so around that time when I learned about real estate, I also learned about house hacking, and you could buy a property and live in it for a very low down payment usually three and a half percent of the purchase price. And I had probably around 15 to $20,000 saved up around when I was 20 years old. And that was great because I needed about 12 grand for my first property. And so since I had a job history as well, that qualified me for a lender plus credit and whatever else they looked at. And that that's actually how I was able to get that first deal. Okay, so you did a house hack on a fourplex. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then how did that deal go? So you put down twelve thousand dollars. So I'm assuming what three four hundred thousand dollar property. Yeah, three hundred thousand dollar property. It might have actually been like ten thousand five hundred, and then sure. I needed some in reserves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was a great property. Yeah, it was in a C minus neighborhood in a gentrifying area, so it was probably moving towards a C, a C plus over the next couple of years. And I bought it for cash flow, and it was kind of relatively close to my family and work. So it made sense. And I remember the first day my mom was helping me move in and this guy comes running across the street from an alley. And we thought this dog was chasing him, but it turned out a cop was chasing this guy because they had just raided his house on a drug bust. And so that was kind of the the neighborhood I was moving into. And there are a, a lot of other stories kind of like that. But, you know, you probably heard D and C minus neighborhoods cause a lot more headaches, but they cash flow more than anything else, any other multifamily. So, uh, and then plus the gentrification, that property did very well. Very interesting story, man. So how old were you and uh, um, what area was that? What uh, city? I was 20 years old and the city was Apache Junction, 
Uh, so it's in the MSA of Phoenix. Oh, okay. Sounds good. Very similar to mine. I I, I live in Orange County and uh, I started five years ago as well, just like you. So 2018, right? That's right. Yeah. So, and then my first deal was a multifamily, uh, about $265,000. And it was in the city of Bakersfield because obviously I couldn't afford even a toilet in Orange County at that point. <laughs> So, and, uh, you know, I, I did the same stuff. It was, a I would say it's a solid D the property I bought was, and, you know, I ran all my numbers and I was like, oh, I'm so smart because I'm an engineer. And I was like, oh, this is going to be, this is a 10 cap is great. Uh, nobody paid rent and they were all doing drugs. So my cap rate was 0%. Um, so did you see that as well in your property or no? You know, I bought that, uh, a great time in the market where, and of course I didn't know that a lot of people thought it was a peak, but the, the appreciation was really great. Um, that's one thing I don't want to invest for though. I don't want to bank on my properties appreciating. I want to buy cash flowing assets. And if it appreciates on top of that, great. And if it doesn't worst case scenario, I just hold it for longer, let it cash flow until it does appreciate, then we can exit. And so over time, I think maybe six months later, 12 months later, I definitely saw more and more gentrification. And then after about a year and a half, when we sold it, maybe almost two years, that's when uh, the property value went up from 300 to 530. And that was, I think, still the peak. So it was, again, just a really good blessing in timing. Yeah, man, that's, uh, yeah, everybody always uh, kept telling uh, me as well, it was a peak here. I'm making a huge mistake. And anyway, I've made a lot of money <laughs> making those mistakes, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So that's, uh, okay, so you think for you, uh, your point of view, it was still worthwhile to do, um, uh, do you still do C or D? Let me ask you that. I focus on C and B. So okay. I don't want to be in D or C minus. Okay. So I like to, you know, try to break down some of the things, you know, uh, our guests say so so people understand. So, you know, what we're talking about is, you know, A, B, C, D is like A is the best neighborhood, D is the worst. And I've transitioned as well. I do not buy any D or C anymore. I heavily focus on B and A neighborhoods. So I moved all of my money out of Bakersfield and I started buying an Inland Empire in Orange County and now Tennessee because I want to go to red states, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I feel that is what gives you long-term, definitely wealth building strategy because you definitely want to cash flow. So, you, you know, you want to make five, six, seven percent at least on your money. And the appreciation curve definitely helps us when you go to those um, B and C and then, you know, less headache. Do you see that with multifamily or because you have managers in place, you're really outsourcing that heavy management aspect to your people? Yeah, still, from my experience, even in a D or C minus, that still some of that still trickles to uh, the asset manager or the owner, even if the property manager is dealing with the bulk of that. And Vince, it's so interesting. Every time I've had or I've had conversations with people that have started in D and C minus, those war zones, you could say, that they wish they had just started in B and C. It's because B and C, they're still security you know if in a recession people usually move out of the a's they move to the b's the b's move to the c's and then the c's just stay there because they can't afford or they don't want to go to a d where it's dangerous so there's security in that regard and they still cash flow with less headache 
So they all say they wish it, they just started in B and C. And that's what I'd say as well. Just start with B and C. Yeah, guys, that's that's if there's something you're gonna learn from Caleb today, is that's that's the key nugget. So all right, so you got the fourplex. Now what do we so you you waited a couple of years to buy buy your next deal or how did that go? What was the timeline there? I actually 1031 the capital from the fourplex sale okay. into a retail facility. Okay. And uh also I house hacked kind of within that same year another duplex. And so that was in even more of a tertiary market. So uh the population was like 15,000, but it was about a 45 minute to an hour drive from the main city. Mm. And then a retail, that's, that's uh, you didn't even go to a fiveplex, you went retail. What, what was that building? What was it doing? So it was 12,000 feet of retail and uh-huh. in probably tertiary market population around 55, 50,000 yeah. people. And it was really an opportunity play events where I was at the time pursuing my first apartment transaction. And I found the 16 unit in Oklahoma and... I thought, okay, I could put my 1031 funds towards that 16 unit, but this retail facility came available where I'm kind of of a silent partner in. So I just invest in my capital. It is a joint venture. So we have biweekly calls uh, and I'm actively, somewhat actively in that property and the decisions of the property. And so I thought, okay, I can put the 1031 towards the apartment or I could raise the capital for the apartment and then use the 1031 to buy the retail facility. So kill two birds, one stone, two deals, one stone. And so I decided to go that route. Okay. So can you can you give us some numbers on that? Yeah. So I invested 177000 into the retail facility through a 1031. And we had some other investors to kind of make up the delta of what we needed to close that building. And then on the apartment complex, I needed to raise about $290,000 and uh, kind of around the same timeline. So I had 90 days to close the apartment. And then with the 1031, you just need to identify those properties that you think you want to invest in. And then it's just up to the closing date. So let's, uh, uh, so the, for the retail, you put in 177, how much, what was the purchase price and how much money was needed for that? Oh, I think so. Purchase price was nine hundred, okay, and it was seller financed. I don't remember the exact terms. Okay, yeah, no, um, no worries. But yeah, maybe like twenty five percent down, twenty okay, yeah, percent down, something like that. Yeah, that's that's pretty good for the seller that you actually put twenty five down for the seller, and then he he uh, he was the bank and was uh, holding on to the note for like what five six percent or something. Yeah, around five percent. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And then this retail of 10,000 square feet or something you said, right? Yeah, 12,000. And then what was it doing? Was it bacon? Was it had a Walmart? Did it have Whole Foods? What was going on? So it didn't have any of those anchor stores. We probably had, from what I remember, we maybe had an ATM in there. So they were like $250 a month. And then you had this other uh, association that was partnered with the veterans. And so they weren't really paying anything, but they were on their way out. And so the the seller was kind of helping them along and uh, knew since he was selling the property that once he did, that they would need to move out. And so once we bought it, that is what happened. And then we our plan was to start renovations and then get people in 
uh, leases so that we can refinance, pull capital out to do more renovations. And that's, uh, that's the overall kind of strategy. And then, I mean, how did you have like all the knowledge to, okay, so I, I, I did. I do remember you mentioned you were a silent partner. So this guy had some experience, and he gave you all the numbers. Like, okay, uh, we're gonna come in. You're gonna put twenty five down, and then we need about hundred k in renovations. You're gonna split it up like this, and then we're gonna bring in some kind of tenants, retail tenants. Yeah. So he had my partner on that transaction. I had been working with him for a couple of years, and I knew him well. And this was his first retail deal, and. This was the first. So in this in this market, Casa Grande, downtown is where this building's located. That location hasn't really seen any revitalization in probably 50 to 30 years. So it's kind of old. And so we're the first players in the market that are trying to revitalize that. Now, if I could do the deal again, I well, I, I actually probably wouldn't do the deal just because. I've learned through this process, we've owned it for almost two years, probably 18 months, and we might not get paid. Like we had not received our first distribution probably until month 24 or maybe longer. And so what I've learned from this experience, Vince, is that I'd rather be a week late to the party than a day early because sometimes the day early can turn into 24 months or longer. You just don't know whenever the party actually started. And so... I still think there's potential in the deal and I'm still in it and I'm still confident in my partner uh, that we can get it done. But that's just something that I've taken away from that deal. Is that, let me ask you this, is that property at least making enough money to pay off some of the, or if you raise other capital or pay the debt breaking even, or are you losing money on it? It is breaking even. So the plan is we have brought in another investor and maybe one or two, and they've brought maybe a hundred or fifty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to help with renovations, just so we can show potential lease, potential retail tenants the proof of concept and the vision that we have for the asset, so they can kind of see, okay, I can see my shop here, or I see there's potential here, because that's what's going to help us. That we've learned at least through this process, that's what's going to help us sign those leases. Okay. And then uh, did you, um, I didn't get the part, but did you say that you're breaking even every month or no? Yeah. That's oh, okay. Right. So that's not mm-hmm. bad. So you just haven't seen any returns on your 177 you invested. That's right. In all this time as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That's, that's a great story, man. I mean, that's a really good learning lesson. You know, like I've noticed that too, like you, like you, you said, you know, people might not have got it, but don't go early to the party. It's like, you know, even Kathy Fetke, I had her on, Maybe you were on, were you on Kathy's show? Maybe. Yeah, I think I heard you on Kathy because I was just on Kathy's before you. Mm-hmm. So, okay. okay, so okay. I think cool. I, that's where I heard. And because, you know, she bought like some land somewhere saying that, oh, they're going to drill oil or something. And then they shut down the pipeline and then she got screwed, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's very risky to do those things. You could be really, really wealthy, but you could also become homeless. So it's like, it's very difficult, you know, like, so I don't play those games anymore. I'm going where... If Whole Foods is already building or Costco is already there as a military base, I'm I'm all in, you know. But if, yeah. if I hear on the radio, oh, they're thinking about building a military base, that could be 50 years. Like, you never know. You know? I'm with you there. Yeah, that's something I learned too. And so, again, kind of I'd rather be a week late than a day early. Yeah. Uh, I really take that to heart. 
And then, okay, so you did that and you were like, bro, this is not a good deal. And on the same time, you were raising capital to buy that 16 unit. Tell me about that deal. So we closed the property early 2022. Okay. And I had been a, a big part for me when I was starting out, being 19, 20 years old, was networking. And so I really took that to heart and I wanted to network as much as I could. So I had been networking for three years and I thought raising capital would be easy because I had all these connections and all these investors. And when I was raising capital, I only needed $290,000. And when I was doing that for that first deal, no one wanted to invest Vince. And mm -hmm. so I really learned that capital raising is going to be a lot harder than I thought it was. Now we did get that deal done. One of my partners introduced me to one of his limited partners who introduced me to another one. And then one of my investors did end up coming along and investing. But that was a learning lesson for me that capital raising was a lot harder than I thought it would be. So how did you... Uh, the, I like to stick to the timeline. So 2018, you bought your thing, first fourplex. It was 2020 now that you was 1031 into that property, that uh, the retail property, right? And you didn't buy anything in the middle, right? No, no, I don't okay. remember the exact timeline, but yeah, sure. if we go off the timeline, roughly. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, roughly. And mm -hmm. then, and then, did you wait another two years because you said twenty twenty two is when you were doing the sixteen plex? So that was it. Took you two years to close that deal. I think we found it. I found it like mid twenty twenty one. Okay. So let's say June, July, uh -huh. and then negotiating the contract, uh, closing it took ninety days, and so the actual closing date was February eighth. 2022. Okay. And then, so at this point, then you only have the retail and then you're closing this one, right? That's right. I think okay. I was, I had, I maybe owned the duplex. I was house hacking that duplex. I had the retail facility and then I was closing on this 16 unit as well. Okay, that makes sense. And then, so you told you told me that it was uh, difficult raising capital. I've I've noticed that too. Uh, um, I've raised uh, over a million dollars in I don't know last three years, but you know it's mostly friends and family, like very close friends and family, right? So how did you get that two hundred ninety thousand dollars? Because you have a retail which is not making money, and you sold a property, and then you have a duplex. That's all. It's it's kind of like hard to raise three hundred grand based on that, right? What what kind of you must be a genius or something. What is going on? No, it took, it was a lot of hard work. You know, you probably, you might've heard this where people that say, whenever you're starting to raise capital, make a list, an A list, a B list, and a C list. A's are people that have money that you think will want to invest. B's, maybe they have money, maybe they want to invest. C's is they probably don't have money and they probably don't want to invest. And I made all three lists. I called everybody on all three lists and nobody wanted to. And so uh, I ended up meeting someone that did want to invest. One of my own investors, he invested maybe 85, 90 grand. And then of that, so we needed 290, maybe 285. And we split that down the middle between three investors. So, and then I was uh, the the main, it was structured like a joint venture. So I'm the guy that's, with the management uh, doing that. And then every other person does contribute in some way with their experience. And, and we, of course, have uh, regular calls and meetings about the property and updates. So, uh, but 
the one investor, another investor who invested was a connection that my partner introduced me to. The partner on the retail deal, he introduced me to this limited partner who would invest in the 16 unit. And then he brought along another investor. So then we had three investors investing 90, 85 grand that made up the 290. Okay. And then how did you split that? Was that a 70, 30 split? 30 to you, 70 to those three guys? So I took 14% 14. and they took two. Uh, sorry. So I took a 2% asset management fee. Uh-huh. I took 14 and yeah, I, I, sh- I gave up too much. The reason I did that was because at the time I thought I just needed to do my first deal and looking back on it, you know, I've talked to investors now year, this is years later and learning that they would not, they would do an 80, 20 split only with their best friend. And then a 70, 30 would be everybody else. And so I did give up the farm, I'd say, with that. But it's I've learned a ton from that deal. Going back, I would have asked for more. Um, but that's definitely a learning lesson. No, that's 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 good for people to um listen. I started off with 50-50 split. So I raised capital, I get I keep 50 and then um uh, because I know how to turn the money around and do all that work. And then now I do 60-40s because I raised a little bit more because of the LTV stuff. So how much money did you raise? Was that like a 70 all tv or was it like you know like 65 or 50 because once you raise like 50 percent or something then it's reasonable to give them like you know for 80 percent of the deal so loan to value do you mean the debt that we got yeah so how so much they, money are they bringing into the table so let's say the total cost of the project is one million dollars if they bring in eight hundred thousand dollars sure i'll give them you know 90 percent. you know that's fine but if they only oh. bring in 100 grand that's a terrible deal Have you thought about investing in real estate and taking advantage of all of those benefits without any of the work? That is something that Onvi Invest not only provides, but has been providing since its inception. With friends and family, we have built an empire in a system of a wealth generating tool that is giving us and our friends and family that leverage in their life to create true wealth. Go to onviinvest.com for more to see if you qualify and thanks for listening. I understand. Yeah. So the the loan to value for the debt was 7525 and mm-hmm. so the bank is going to fund 75% of the purchase price uh-huh. and 75% of the renovation. Sure. And the total purchase price was 755 so around 47,000 per unit and the the uh, construction part of it was two hundred and eighteen thousand uh-huh. dollars, uh, and so they, yeah, they brought their eighty-five grand a piece, and then that made up the the down payment and then closing cost. Um, I also had like seven grand of earnest money in there, so I don't know exactly like what that math plays out to be, but uh, that's from what my understanding and what I remember. That's what it was. Okay, so that no, I got it. So that's uh, that's uh, for people who are listening. That's very generous on your part. So because you 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 raised twenty five percent and you gave away uh, almost eighty seven percent or eighty, you did give away eighty six percent, right? Yeah. So that's a that's a very generous offer. Um, you know, usually people will raise about 
35% and give away 70%. So that's 2x and you did more than 3x. So that's uh, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. I started off uh, in the beginning, some, something like that, yeah, because you know people will put in like, I don't know, 15% and then I'll give them like, you know, 50%, something crazy, right? So that's more than 3x and then it's leveraged so much and then I'm bleeding or I'm I'm putting some money to run the deal. So that, you know, we all start somewhere. So for people who are listening, so they can kind of understand, you know, like how the deals are structured. Because, you know, uh, I want people to understand because the best investors, uh, the, the smart investor knows how things are done. So it makes it uh, easier for us to talk to them. Uh, it's gone are the days where they keep everybody in the shadows and try to like, you know, oh, you don't know, let me scam him. I'm like, here's everything. Here's all my Excel sheets. You go figure it out. And then, you know, come back to me when you're comfortable because that's how I like to do it. Because if everybody's smart listening to my podcast and then they want to give you money or us money, it's it just makes it much easier, more honest conversation. That's right. That's yeah. spot on. And then do you uh, do you try, do that too? Like, do you try to educate your people? Yeah, yeah. I have free resources. And when I was first starting off, uh, picking a market is a big piece of that. And I'm the acquisitions guy. So whenever I looked uh, at a market, I first wanted red states and landlord-friendly states. Uh, But there's still so many states when you just look at those. And so how do you pick? I read a great book by David Lindahl called Emerging Real Estate Markets. And he shared his strategy, which was going to the Bureau of Labor Statistics and writing down uh, every state, every county, and their every state and every county or region, they do it a little bit differently, but writing down the forecasted uh, population growth for each state, because population means jobs, uh, population means more people to that market, which means more demand for my units, and which means my rent will increase. And so, which also means my value of the property will increase. And so I look for properties or states and markets that have high forecasted population growth. And so, yeah, I, I love giving away tools like that and uh, other tools and uh, educating others with underwriting and acquisitions as well. So that's cool. So let's uh, keep uh, going with your uh, your story. So unique, man. It's crazy. Like I've never met anybody who did, oh, I did a duplex and I bought a retail complex. That is insane. Uh, I'm I'm still scared to buy like five units. Like I'm still, you know, playing with duplexes and triplexes and single families. So, so you have the 16 unit now that's making money. You still own it. You got the retail complex that's breaking even, and then you got a duplex. What else is going on now after that? So now today I have 117 units, uh, 30 in Albuquerque, New Mexico, 40 Mm -hmm. in Las Cruces, 30 in Tucson, Arizona, and then the 16 in Oklahoma. And we're aggressively pursuing, uh, we're focusing on larger properties. So 75 plus units value add apartments garden style and we're investing heavily in texas oklahoma alabama and arkansas okay so how did you go from uh, the 16 unit to all of that you just said that's a lot partners i say partners and so that first partner that i did that retail yeah deal with Uh uh i did three those three properties i worked with him uh in new mexico and then yeah, found a partner that I could uh, partner with on the property in Tucson, and then the property in uh, OKC was my first my first deal. 
That's awesome, man. And then where did you meet these people? Like, are you going to meetups every day? Are you going to conferences? You you going to Radcliffe? Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Meetups. So that my first partner that I met, uh, I met him at my first apartment meetup, actually. And I talked to a lot of people. Again, networking was a big piece of my development. And whenever I went to that meetup, I wanted to meet as many people as I could. I talked to a lot of guys did my own learning, but I also wanted to vet other potential partners. And so he was someone and I I spoke to other people, but it just so happened that uh, I meshed with this guy very well. And, and that's continued to develop, you know, you just go to conferences and you talk to people and continue to network, stay in touch and try to do a deal together with the people that you want to work with. That's awesome, man. That's that's good to hear. So, um, the the meetups in your town in Phoenix, you were able to pe- meet these people. That's right. And then or you, there's some online meetups, mastermind courses as well. And then, do you um, do, is it is it your meetup or do you go to other people's meetup? I have had my own meetup, but uh, I I don't have that anymore. I'll just go to other people's meetups. Okay, that's that's cool. And then, do you um, do you so? That's where you meet your working partners or your JV partners who are doing the deals with you. Where do you get your LPs or limited partners or like people who give you money? A lot of it's uh, social media. So, I mean, some of it's from church, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it's social media and Instagram, LinkedIn, just connecting with people. Uh, I have a, a monthly webinar. And so I love educating limited partners on how to find like I just did one two hours ago where I educated some people on how to invest or how to vet a sponsor and what to look for or how to invest in apartments, the basics, just the basics. And so providing that to people so that they learn kind of like that education, like we talked about earlier, and then also providing passive income opportunities uh, to uh, people that either are on those webinars or that I meet on other platforms. And how are you driving traffic into these webinars? Manually going into Instagram and I'll follow people and the people that follow me back, I will message them. I have a a script and same thing for Instagram. Uh, People like people that follow or have liked recently. So let's say Brandon Turner, one of the, the former host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, post something, he'll probably get 200 likes. I'll go in there, look at the likes, and then I'll follow the people that liked it within the last week, right? Because I don't want leads that were so old, they aren't ever on Instagram or LinkedIn again, that were a year ago. I want them somewhat fresh. So follow them, whoever follows me back. Uh, now, since they're following me, they're seeing my content. And at the same time, I'm I'm on their mind, right? They've seen me, they follow me. So as soon as I can, I'll send them a message in that script and then just getting to know them and then dropping the seed of saying, hey, I, I provide this webinar that's free. It's exclusive. If you're interested in more information, contact me. And that's how I'll funnel people to that webinar. Wow. Do you have um, a website where you give away some kind of ebook or something to capture emails too? I do. So at redseacapitalgroup.com, mm-hmm. uh, I have a due diligence checklist for limited partners and active partners. And then the podcast too, you know, it's, and you know, this Vince, you want to be on as many platforms as you can. So with the podcast, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, 
you want to be on other people's shows. And so there can be a lot of places that leads come from, but I think the website is really important to have. To, so people can look at you, they can see all your podcasts on there. And like you said, free resources that they can have. That's awesome, man. I mean, that's a lot of hard work and, you know, doing this, you know, messaging people on Instagram. And do you have a VAs who do that or do you do it too? I wish I had a VA and that's in the plan, but right now it's just me. Wow. Okay. So with all these properties, like how, how, um, how much equity are you getting? You still, they're still scamming you with 14% or what's going on? <laughs> so with general partners, the um depends on i mean capital raising you're gonna get a certain amount for capital sure. raising right yeah. and then if you bring the deal it, it depends on what you bring so if you're the sponsor of course you're going to get a, a larger portion if you're the asset management if you're finding the deal so it's usually around 10 percent for finding the deal and that's the value that i provided for the last deals that i've been a part of and then you know, if you asset management, bring capital, earnest money, sponsor it, you're signing the note. Um, all those other things also attribute to some portion of uh, equity. So they're all like, you know, uh, you're talking about the 10% of 30%, right? Of the GP side you will get, right? For just finding the deal. Yeah, usually 10 to 15% for finding the deal. Of the GP. Yeah, I, I have a little 44 unit. Um, you know, I, I hopped with that deal, but I only own 2% of that deal. So that's interesting. And then, so with these, all these units, so you have some equity percentage and then is that bringing you enough cash flow to not uh, work anymore? Or do you have a day job too? So this is what I do full time. And okay. since I sold the duplex, that's been a lot of seed capital. Uh -huh. So there is some residual income, you know, through asset management fees. Honestly, Vince, all in all, it's probably maybe a thousand dollars a month. And sure. what I see and from the properties that I own. Uh -huh. And so uh, a lot of that seed capital from just selling my own rental portfolio uh, is the capital that I use to survive and keep the lights on. And then the seed, the seed capital is from the profits from the duplex. That's right. Okay. So then, how? What is? Do you have a plan? Because I'm just, I'm not trying to uh, be nosy, but I'm just uh, telling you, I have about uh, eight million dollars of real estate with my uh, buddy and my family, right? And I make $0 in cash flow for the last five years every day. Like I've made $0.000 in terms of cash flow, right? Equity-wise, sure, that's a couple of million in there in equity. But I don't really make any money because once the roof goes out, I, I just lost my cash flow for the whole year, right? So, And then I pay people 5 6% on their money. So so all the partners who have given me money, they're, they're making some money, right? So that's literally there's $0. So I'm moving my strategy towards uh, Tennessee where I'm doing midterm furnished and I'm trying to imp improve my cash flow position. But I have a, a you know, six-figure income day job, which I'm an engineer for a medical device company. Great company, great job. So the, I, I'm doing that to survive, right? So um, so for you, you're, do you have a strategy for yourself to kind of improve your cash flow? Because I know you're getting some equity in the back end in the long term. So you'll be fine there, but mm -hmm. for cash flow. Yeah, so part of that is just acquiring more acquiring more assets. So we're acquiring a couple of properties right now um where the acquisition fees keep the lights on, right? Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. And if, you know, if worst case scenario I have to go back to get a J, a day job, then I do. That's that's one thing starting off that a lot of people fear is they have a day job, they have some capital 
they want to do this full time and they have some seed money, but they don't want to step out and do it. And I say, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, of course, when you have a family, you know, and kids and wife, you have to actually, there's some risk with that. And so you can't just make that decision on your own. And it's a very serious decision. But me, young, single guy, I can make that decision where the worst case scenario is I go get another day job. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for sharing that. You know, you see all the time on Instagram is I just see people with their Lambos and their Rolls Royce. And I'm like, dude, I know you have zero dollars. Like, what are you trying to flex? Like, you know, like I still drive a Toyota, you know, I don't Mm -hmm. care. I drive Um, a Honda. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get a Beamer next, but you know, that's a different story. But I've been driving a Toyota for three years. I had a Chevy Volt for six years before that, you know, I paid my dues, right? So I'm I want to uh, splurge a little bit. No, that's very interesting, man. Thank you for sharing that. You know, a lot of people don't understand. They think, oh, yeah, you guys are millionaires. You know, I was talking to this guy, you know, he was doing some work and he literally told me, oh, of course, your house is $1.2 million. So I'm going to charge you, you know, based on that. I'm like, you're never going to have a job. Like, you just, that's not how this works, bro. Like, <laughs> you got to do work to, you know, you got to earn it. It's not because you, you know, see something flashy, you you, you deserve it. You know, people don't understand how that works. And so I wanted to um, pivot a little bit towards, um, um, uh, so I, I heard that you said uh, 10% tithe, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm That's assuming right. your family is Christian Catholic, yeah? Christian. Okay, yeah. So I, I grew up in a Christian household. I'm from India and my family is very Christian as well. Yeah, my family is Christian too. So growing up in a Christian household, you know, um, we have all these connotations and uh, things about money and we think money is evil. And then you start demonizing people who have money and, you know, uh, that, that really puts like a drag on your character and you start thinking, Oh, look at this rich guy, you know, he must have screwed over 20 people to get that money. And, you know, as I got older, I really realized it's not the case at all. Like most people I know, like Brandon Turner has a company where he's literally trying to solve sex trafficking by giving hundred percent of his profits to that. Right. That's mm-hmm. what he's doing. That's his whole life. And he's Christian too. So it's is, you know, Ryan Pineda. There's a lot of uh folks out there who do that. So how do you how did you get out of that mindset? Or did your family not have that kind of mindset? Yeah, I think I think there that was there. I think more so, you know, with my dad, it was it was good where it was more of uh there was no limiting belief right? You could say, oh, well, how do you get that? If you see the big mansion there, it's not, oh, well, that costs a lot of money. It's like, oh, well, how do they get that? And so I think that is key for parents whenever they raise their kids to do that. You know, Don't say, oh, I bet they screwed that person over. And that I think is still in my family, right? And so there's a constant battle for the mind. And so I think that's a daily thing, you know, praying and that part is daily as well, but you also have to just work on your mind and understand finances. So once you take that step and you start educating yourself on understanding your mind and how to have positive thoughts, that is really uh, a big key to ultimate success. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's well said. You know, that's um, something that people have to realize. It's you know, money is not bad or good. It's just money. You know, mm-hmm. and you can do whatever you want with it, you know. Um, and, it, you know, it's uh, it's like uh, if you have uh, more money and if you're a good person, you can definitely help more people. 
like what are you going to tell like someone who has no money and they they need food and water and shelter are you going to go tell them no money is not nothing you don't need it they're going to just punch you in the face that's not you know money definitely has its place and you can definitely save a lot of people with that too so yeah. I always yeah yeah and it says that in the bible too you know whenever you see someone that is um homeless and cold you don't say oh be well with you no it doesn't do anything you know you give them a blanket and you give them a hot meal and so i love that yeah yeah that's uh that's um a good idea so what's next man like so oh actually before that i wanted to uh ask you like maybe challenge you a little bit was you know like you did have all that seed money why don't you go buy yourself like a cash flowing airbnb or something and then that brings you some money so that you can keep that for your living expenses i thought about doing an airbnb and the seed money I have now isn't enough okay. to go buy out another property. And so I did look at Hawaii, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had offers on two short-term rentals and went through the whole process. We lost. We didn't get those deals. I'm um, kind of blessed in that regard that we didn't because of what happened in Maui. And the properties were right there. So it was probably three miles from that big fire that they had there. So uh, that's just tragic. And so I have thought about short-term rentals. Now getting into it, honestly, Vince, I I had a short-term rental guy on my podcast. He manages like 150. And he was started talking about all these things where it's a a hospitality business. I'm more of the ilk where put lipstick, paint on that sucker, throw some furniture in there, rent it. Right. But there's so much into the short-term rental business that goes along with hospitality. And I'm just not that mindset. Now I can be. That's another asset class to kind of learn. It's like any any investment. But right now where I'm at, I'm just going to focus on apartments um, until I need to uh, do something else. Yeah, man. It's, it's uh, you know, I have about 24 units and half of them are midterm and short-term furnished mm-hmm. rentals. And it's, it's, it, the days are gone where you can just throw lipstick on a pig and rent it and make money. You got to be really smart, but you can partner. You know, you're good at raising capital and stuff, man. I would, I would say, I spend a lot of time in the. I wouldn't say a lot of time. Okay, I spent a year trying to get into the multifamily space. I knew everybody, or not everybody, a lot of people, and like the Jake and Genos and the Rod Cleef and all these guys. I was hanging out. I got into like some groups, and you know, I got that little forty-four unit in Lakeland. But I would say spending that one year doing all that stuff not a good use of my time it's 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 just it's it's so, like i if i raise all the money let's say i'm buying a one million dollar deal and i raise all of that money for that one million dollar deal i keep about nine percent of the total deal mm-hmm. that's that's how much i will keep right for raising capital because you get 30 percent of the gp 30 percent of 30 percent is nine percent now if i raise the same amount of money on a you know million dollar deal i would keep 25 to 40 percent of that deal Right. So it doesn't it doesn't make sense to keep doing that all the time. Now I do see that 44 unit, I do nothing. I'm just like chilling, you know, collecting, you know, I don't know, a couple of bucks here and there. That is definitely there. But I think for you, I think it will be great for you if you could um maybe raise a I don't know, a couple hundred grand and then buy like a JV deal on like 40, 50 percent. Maybe that guy, somebody will help you with the Airbnb, then cash flow. Now you can double your, you know, cash flow with just two doors and you already have 127 doors and you can make the same amount of cash flow. So then, you you know, once you have, you know, I don't know, what's your living expenses, like five grand maybe, then you can easily 
just keep doing this full time. Yeah, I love that, man. I should have been taking notes. I didn't know that I was going to get mentored on this podcast. But that was <laughs> that was pretty good, Vince. No, man, that's really good because you've done a lot of the hard stuff. Like that's that's what's interesting. Because people usually go one, two, three. I mean, I'm still doing two units, right? I just I'm trying to buy a SFR now, um, in uh, in outside Nashville. So you know, for you, you have so much experience. You bring so much to the table. Raising hundred grand to buy a duplex, it's like you could do it tonight. Like I already know it. Like it's nothing. So then you can do all that stuff. So that's cool, man. Yeah, I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, we're coming around the one uh, uh, hour mark. And I want to ask you like final questions is, you know, people always say, oh, the every time I hear is it's always a bad time to buy real estate. It's always a bad time to invest. It's always a, a bad time to get married, right? It's, it's never a good time because everybody will be doing that. So in this market, is it a like people who haven't done their deal how do you, what do you tell these guys, like girls, like, should we, they get in? What, what should they do? Should they just wait it out, wait for the feds to make another decision? No, I've heard that too, you know, and I'm of the ilk where you can, there's always, always time to invest. Um, whenever they're like years ago when capital was so, was everywhere, you could just raise capital a lot easier than you can today. Today, they're so scared, Right. But back then, two years ago, there was so much capital, there were no deals. Everything was bought out. Prices were so high. And now that prices are coming down, everyone's scared and holding on to the money. So there's always going to be some give and pull, some push pull. So just invest, you know, whenever the, the time's never going to be perfect ever. So just take that first step. First, educate yourself to some degree. Don't do it for five years because I've talked to people that have been doing that for two years, five years. They're in that analysis paralysis stage. And so after about six months to a year, I, I felt that I was ready and confident at, at least to go do my first deal. So take the first step eventually, and it's never going to be the right time to invest. Well said, man. That's, that's really good. Are you still looking at deals now to uh, purchase now? Yeah, we are. Very awesome. aggressive. That's that's awesome. Um, that's it, man. That's all from me. It was it was a pleasure talking to you. You know, such a young guy, so inspirational to you know people listening. You know, a lot of people. I hear a lot of people say, oh, "I'm too young," and then I also meet the guys who say, "I'm too old." I'm like, "What's going on?" Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds like people have excuses. Yeah, it's a limiting mindset. But really appreciate you know you let me on the show. It was a great opportunity. I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, so thanks, brother. Yeah, man. Uh, give us, uh, give us the listeners your, um, your uh, five seconds of fame. You got a uh, Instagram. Uh, 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 what else do you have? Do you have podcasts, web- website? Yeah. So at redseacapitalgroup.com and LinkedIn, Caleb Johnson, Facebook, Caleb Johnson, Red Sea Capital Group on uh, Instagram. And the podcast is called From Trial to Triumph. Awesome. man. Is that a, a Moses reference, Red Sea Capital? It is. Oh, nice. Cool. Uh, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Vince. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Hey, uh, can you do me a favor, dude? Can you say, um, um, I'll, I'll use this in the front of the show. It's like, uh, hey, guys, I'm Caleb Johnson. Uh, you're listening to the RE Social Podcast or something like that? Yeah, uh, RE Podcast, RE Social. R- RE Social Podcast. Okay. RE, like for real assets, real estate, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know about you, but I definitely like to see five-star reviews on any service or any product before I purchase. Please take a second to leave us a five-star review 
whether you're listening to it on Apple, iTunes, or Spotify, or whatever platform. Take a second, it goes a long way, helps us a lot to grow the channel, and thanks for listening.